0: We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're moving towards Advent and Christmas and the incarnation, so it's a little fitting that we're kind of talking about his second coming, because we're getting ready to celebrate his first coming. Um, And so, I have a little bit of a disclaimer for this week. Um, I don't like to analyze and squeeze movies, or squeeze the gospel in and out of movies too much, um, but sometimes the movies tell the story for us as Christians because people are longing and looking for the same thing. So a lot of times the stories in movies do have some kind of uh, message that is could be biblical, but usually it's in the form of somebody else doing the saving and not God, right? But uh, so on Monday when I was reading the text, so you know we do Sunday I take a rest and Monday morning or Monday I start back reading the next text for the week. And uh, I did the sermon outline, so the outline that we have before you is what I did on Monday. And then on Tuesday, Mason and I were watching the new Spider-Man movie. It's called Far From Home. Not sure if everybody's seen it. It's very good, but I am a comic book nerd, so I'm a little biased, perhaps. But the premise of the movie is that there is a hero that comes from another Earth to rescue us from this, this calamity, these bad guys that show up. Um, you know, and he's warning it, he's warning us because this has already happened on his planet. And uh, so, of course, Spider-Man he starts out helping him, and later we find out that the the, the hero, whose name is Mysterio, is a actually a bad guy. Right? And so he is faking all these things. He's setting up this these elaborate ruses to get people to want to him to be the hero. Right? He wants to be worshipped as this next superhero, the next, um, the next big hero that everybody will look to to save the world, right? And so it struck me that this is kind of what was going on, you know, as we see the, see the end times, we see kind of just throughout our history that people have set themselves up to be the next Jesus, or I am the next uh, Messiah or Savior here on earth, right? We see this happening through history, and we know that the, the Antichrist will be the final one who does this, at the end times, and he's going to set himself up as the Savior, you know, so that's what he is doing, and so that's why I said it's kind of my disclaimer that I'm not just trying to squeeze things into the gospel box, but if we watch movies that are out in public, you know, the, the popular movies, if we can take this, because all superheroes movies have kind of the same bent, right, that's what people are looking for, and so we can take and link those types of movies to the gospel, to Jesus, and point them to the real hero, right? We can get in their heads and we can have a common ground to talk about, you know? And so if you talk to your grandkids or your kids about the same thing, if they're the ones watching the movie, maybe you're not, but maybe they probably are, right? Or other people you may meet, right? So that's, that's kind of where we're at, right? So Spider-Man was able to discern truth from false, right? He was able to discern and figure out that this guy was lying the whole time. And so that's what we have to do. That's what Paul is calling the Thessalonians to do here as well. He wants them to separate fact from fiction. Right? He wants to make sure that, that they understand what's true and what's false and how to recognize it. So, so if you look at the outline real quick, it says, you know, the key phrase there is do not be deceived. And there's three ways that, that people are being deceived in, in our, you know, today as well. Right, They're being deceived by false words, false prophets, and false miracles. And so the application part is at the end because that's the way Paul wrote the letter. So it was a little easier just to follow his his uh, line of thinking than trying to kind of go back and forth in between each point with, the, with his application. So we're just going to do the application part at the end of this. So if you guys are wondering where that is, that's where it will be. Um, and so, right, we look at we look for all these people we want to be saved and we look for for people who can do that and so we need to make sure we're keeping our eyes on the real person who can save and that's jesus right so we're going to go ahead and look at chapter two i'm going to read verses one through 12 if you have your bibles uh, open the thessalonians second thessalonians chapter two we'll read one through 12 and we'll get to the application part that's verses 13 through 17 we'll we'll go over that when we get to that point this is what Paul tells the Thessalonians. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging the day of the Lord has come. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming, pro- proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know the currently, you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's work with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. And with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth And so be saved. For this reason, God sends them on a a strong delusion so they will will believe the lie so that all will be condemned. Those who do not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. (coughs) Like I said, we will cover verses 13 through 17, right? So those are Paul's words to the church because they were kind of freaking out, right? So the main point is what Paul says, what Paul tells them. it says, "Let let no one deceive you in any way. Hey, that is the main point of this today, is, is let no one deceive you in any way. And so the first way that people can deceive us is, is through their false words, right? We hear a lot of news and information today, right? You can get news, you can pull up your phone right now and pull up 40,000 news sources and they're all going to tell you some different story about the same story you're reading. You can read the same story 15, 15 different ways. And we may be left wondering which one is the true, what, which, what is really happening, right? Because even when I grew up, we still had the evening news with Dan Rather. And they just reported the news. This happened, that happened. This happened, that happened. Everybody's like, okay, we'll just leave everything else to, to let you figure it out. Right now, we have a lot more information. We have a lot of people telling us their opinions. People who aren't even famous, people who aren't experts. They'll just, they just want to give you their opinion for whatever reason. Just to have their opinion out there. And you can listen to it, you can take it, you can leave it, whatever you want to do. Um, but we are left trying to figure out what is real and what is fake. Right? And so the problem becomes, it's hard to know which ones to trust. Which Who do I trust? And so Thessalonica had a similar problem. They had Paul there. He gave them the right information. He taught them from the scripture. He sat with them for, for however long he was there teaching. Going through the scriptures, explaining things to them. Explaining... What Christ meant, how he fulfilled the scriptures. But then he left, right? He, he he got thrown out of Thessalonica basically, so he had to leave. He sent Timothy back for a while to, to kind of keep the church going. Timothy left. So somewhere in between all that all of that action, some people were coming behind Paul, kinda of like we see with other letters, and they started telling a different story. They started telling slightly different variations of what they thought Paul was teaching, what the Bible really meant. Right, And so they come in with this authority, what they think is authority. They start teaching or prophesying. So Paul says they came with a spirit. And they start t- telling them about things, right? Because, and also they were apparently walking around going, hey, look, Paul wrote me a letter and he wanted me to tell you guys all about this. All right, so this is what Paul says in this letter. The day of the Lord has already come. You guys missed it. And we saw from the first letter that Paul... Paul had told them what was going to happen, what to look for. But since then, then they said, hey, we're, you guys already missed it. We're, we're in the tribulation. We're, we're This is end time. This is the end times. We're done. We, we, you, you, you didn't get raptured. You didn't get saved. You missed the bus. And that probably sent some people in a panic. Because now they're thinking, well, I didn't get saved. I did all this stuff for nothing. I already went through this tribulation and all these things for nothing. Right, but see, these letters, whatever these people were telling them, did not match what Paul was saying. They did not match what Scripture says. And so, because these people were taking the Scripture and twisting it for their own purposes, they wanted to either discount Jesus and therefore you know, discount Paul as well, because Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles for Jesus. So, they wanted to just kind of throw both of them off the cliff and say, No, he's lying to you. He's, he's, he's doing it. Or they wanted to, who knows, maybe they just wanted to have their own church and, and kind of go with that and have their own cult. We don't get the motives, but we, we know the results. And so Paul somehow heard this. He got word of it somehow, and so that's why he wrote this second letter. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't send those guys a letter. And later at the end, you see that he, he signs it in a way where he's saying, this is me. And a couple, if you look at the actual, it's kind of neat, actually, if you, if you go online, and you can look at the original manuscript. There's a few letters, I think Galatians where Paul, and this is kind of towards the end of his life, he, he actually signs the letter, and so the writing is different than the, his secretary who wrote the letter out for him, but he signed it with his name, and it's different handwriting. Right, you can see it, right? So he's definitely saying, look, this is me. This is my stamp, right? And so the same thing's happening today, right? We take, people take and bend Scripture for what they want it to say, So there's a book called Scripture Twisting 20 Ways the Cults Misread the Bible by James Sire. I found that last night, Uh, and it's kind of an interesting thing. I'm not going to read all 20 points, but I have a few of them that kind of are pertinent to today and kind of what you're going to come across, right? He points out different tactics that these people do use. And maybe we're guilty of it too occasionally because we're going to get it wrong occasionally if we don't have a Bible sitting in front of us sometimes, right? But the first one is that... uh, there's a there's an inaccurate quotation, right? Some people, some cults or some people like to quote the Bible, but it's inaccurate, right? Um, for example, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the spiritual advisor to the Beatles in the '60s, he says Christ said, "Be still and know that I am God," but that verse only comes out of it comes out of Psalm 46, verse 10, which Christ didn't say. No, know in the Bible does he say, that he, he says, I am several times throughout, the, especially the book of John, but he never says that specific quote. But here, this yogi, this Hindu is, is quoting this, this biblical scripture. Right, and so he, he wants to twist people because they either don't know any better or, you know, people make mistakes, but they don't know any better. Or they want to make a point that they're trying to get across. Right? Another one is a, a twisted translation. So this is when a biblical text is retranslated, but not in accordance with sound Greek or Hebrew scholarship to fit the preconceived teaching of a cult. Right. So the biggest, the best one for this is Jehovah Witnesses. They translate one, one as, as in the beginning, the word was God and the word was with God and the word was a God. And so not to get into it, but when you look at the Greek, they stick an extra A in there for the God. And it's also a smaller case. So they think Jesus is a God, but not the God. And that sets their whole theology up. Because Jesus is just a sub, sub-God of, of the actual God Yahweh, Jehovah. You know, they call him Jehovah. Also, we have some people like to get cute and try to have wordplay. So Mary Baker Eddy, um, she founded, I want to say Foursquare. I think it's Foursquare Church. I can't remember exactly. But she says the name Adam consists of two syllables, a-dam, which means obstruction, in which case Adam signifies the obstacle which the serpent, sin, or sin would impose between man and his creator. Right? She's taking an English word meaning, you know, Adam as a name for two words meaning a-dam, so something that stops up the water. But actually the, the Hebrew word Adam, it just means man or mankind, and it has nothing to do with the word dam. Like... The Kachuma Dam. It has nothing to do with that. But you want to be cute. You want to try to do these things. And, and people who don't know the original languages they say, okay, that makes sense to me, I guess. You know, you don't have a, a Greek to Hebrew or Hebrew to English dictionary. So it's a little harder to look it up really quick. Um, and so you can get trapped in these things because it sounds close enough, right? It sounds close enough to, to make enough sense. Another one they do is a, a figurative fallacy. So either mistaking literal language for figurative language, or mistaking figurative language for literal language, right? So the Bible is full of pictures, especially in the prophetic books. If you read them, you get a lot of pictures. If you took every if you took every figurative uh, sentence describing God as literal, he would be a giant man, chicken wing. You know, there's all kinds of different things that pull that pull out that you could say, "Oh, this describes God." But, you know, there's being figurative. It's not literal. So people want to take this out. So one thing that the Mormons do is they take James Talmadge, who's a Mormon theologian. He interprets the prophecy as thou shalt be brought down and speak out of the ground to mean that God's word would come out or come to people from the Book of Mormon, which was taken out of the ground at the hill of Camorra. So he's taking that literal saying, well, yeah, we dug up God's word at the bottom of this tree on these golden plates. And that's what that's what this this fulfills this, this prophecy, right? Because they want to take and, like I said about not taking the movies and shoving them into the gospel story or vice versa, they're doing that with the prophecies, right? They're trying to do that with people are trying to do that with prophecies, because we see when Jesus when Satan is is tempting Jesus, right? He employed these same tactics. He tried to throw Jesus off his game and to get him to sin. But Jesus was wise. He knew the Scripture. He knew the Word because He is the Word. And He was able to correct Satan. He was able to fill in the rest of the blanks. He would say, here's what the actual context means. You know, man cannot live by bread alone, but you should live on the Word of God. Right? He finishes the sentence. He says, this is what it actually means. Don't, don't try to twist it because you're only using half, half the verse. You've got to finish it. And so we have to be like Jesus in every way so we can strive... And develop the knowledge and trust in God's word. Right? some of this comes from memorization. Some of it just comes from knowing and understanding what one sentence means in the paragraph. Because you can easily take one sentence and make it mean pretty much whatever you want. But then you have to read the whole paragraph. And somebody's got to read the whole page. Somebody has to read the whole book to really get the context of what you're talking about. Or what the writer is talking about. Because... There are many people who get things mostly right, right? These people can look at it and say, if they get it mostly right, but that means they're still all the way wrong. Right? That means that if they're using it wrong, if you're twisting the scripture, it means you're all the way wrong. You can't be half right with God. You have to be all the way or you're not. Right? But see, the, the people... They didn't know the scripture, they didn't have the luxury of going to Lifeway or, or the Parable or, or Amazon and buying any Bible version you wanted and have a whole stack of them like I do at home and have multiple electronic versions. so You can refute anybody who says anything, right? They didn't have a, a bookstore to get, so they, they kind of had to remember or kind of had to memorize it and know what, it, know what they said. So they had to know what the scripture is because this is pointing to what Paul was telling them of how the day of the Lord will come. Right? And so we have these false prophets showing up, or the false prophet. And so you know, they're all worried. The Thessalonican church is worried that they've missed the day of the Lord. They're in the, rat, they're in the tribulation. They have to go endure all these things. But in verse 3, Paul explains that the day of the Lord will not come until a few things happen. First, the rebellion or the apostasy is going to come. The man of lawlessness is revealed. And then the restraint or the restrainer is going to be removed, right? He's going, he is going to get out of the way. So first, the rebellion, right? That's what we think of as the tribulation. That's what most commentators point to, is that you're going to have this tribulation going on, all of this apostasy, people leaving the church, people saying they were saved at one point, now they're not, um, because they're just like, you know what, it's not worth it. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. For whatever reason, uh, maybe they want to follow the Antichrist a little more. Um, and also everybody else just kind of follows suit. And then the man of lawlessness is revealed, right? So the Antichrist is going to be known. He's going to do all these things. You know, if you kind of get a little more into the weeds, supposedly he's going to broker these deals and have some peace. Is he going to be peaceful? They're going to rebuild the third temple. If you kind of go with uh, some more literal things, right? He's going to do all these things. And all of a sudden that's going to, when he's going to be there. And they're going to say, oh, this guy's actually bad news. We've already elected him. We've already hired him. He, he is the guy in charge of everything. And all of a sudden we gave him the keys to the castle, and he starts running amok. And so, and the last thing is it it's going to get worse because all of his actions, all of these things that are going on with the, with the people who are rebelling, the, the man of lawlessness, the Holy Spirit most likely, or God, is going to remove his hand and remove his protection. And it's all, it's going to be way worse than we can ever imagine. And so Paul is telling them, look, yes, it's bad or not, right? We talked about the persecution last week a little bit. It's okay. This stuff is going to happen. Peter talks about it as well. But it's going to get worse. But we, theoretically, depending on how you look at the rapture, we may or may not be here. Um, but when it gets to the judgment, when it gets to God's wrath, we will definitely not be here. The church, the believers, will not be here. Right? We, we do not have to withstand God's, God's wrath, which is different than just kind of the normal um, the goings-on of the tribulation. Alright, and so it talks about revealed, right? And this is where we get the word apocalypse. So the apocalypse, right, the book of Revelation is, is the revealing, is the unveiling of what's happening, of, of who it is, right? We're going to know this false prophet for what he really is. And we see this through history. There's been people who have claimed to be Jesus or claimed to be, you know, David Koresh and some other people. They said they were, they were the next Messiah. They were the next you know, God incarnate. Um, so we see these revealings. We see what's going on, but you know, the, the Antichrist will be the last person. He will be the last one. And he will be revealed for this destruction, this end times of the world, right? <clears throat> and so the man of lawlessness is the same person that's mentioned in Daniel 7, chapter 7 through 11. He's kind of mentioned all the way throughout. And also Matthew 23 and 24, right? Because Jesus is telling, he's confirming certain things and all this stuff matches up, right? So how many of you, how many of you remember TV before high definition, You know the tube TVs, especially. Maybe you had the little 13 inch, I had a 13 inch black and white TV as a kid. Um, You know, and you're sitting this close, you can see something, right? Um, Now, right? Can you go back to? Have you gone back to watch an old TV or somebody who has an old TV? Try to watch a a game, like especially like a football or baseball game. You know, you, you can't see anything, right? So now you see your sports, your first sporting event, right? It's like I can see the blades of the grass on the baseball field or the football field, right? I can see everything. I can see the beads of sweat coming down the quarterback's face because he just made a play or something, right? You can see all this, these, these definitions, these points, right? And if you go to Costco, like we were at Costco Friday night, you see those huge TVs, and of course, they're right here next to you anyway, so you can see everything. The high definition is fantastic, right? But no matter how clear or real that picture looks, it's still not the real thing. That's the same with false prophets. Again, it looks very real on TV, but I know you're not the real deal. I know this person is not telling me things. He's not telling me the right things. So those false prophets and these false idols that we make other people out to be or the things that we worship, they're like those old black and white TVs. right? They show you the picture. You can see it. You know what's going on. But it definitely does not look the same as the high definition. So what it means is, the technology gets better, so the, fo- the false prophets get smarter. Right? They get a little smarter. They start using the language. They know the things. They know the words to say. But they're still not the same people. They're still not Jesus. Because right? I have a high-definition picture of my wife and kids, but it's not the same as having them with me. Right? I can put it on my desk, but it's not the same as them being there with me. Right? It's the same thing. Same thing with Jesus. No matter how tempting or how perfect the false Messiah looks, right? He is not good. Now, Jesus, Paul says that he is going to set himself up in the, in the temple, this, this man of lawlessness. He's going to proclaim that he is God, but he can't do the things that God can do. Right? But we starve so much for a hero. We starve so much for people to, to save us that a lot of times we will gravitate towards people or things that we think can do that. And we miss God. We, we walk right by him and say, oh, no, I don't need him. I need you. I need this guy. He's got what I need because he's here. He's in front of me. He can give me whatever it is. If he can give me $20, God hasn't given me $20 yet. So I'm going to go to him. You know, and it's a very basic analogy, but that's a lot of times I think how we think sometimes. So the false prophets are always going to be here though, right? So Jesus says in Matthew 24, starting in verse, uh, verse 3, he says, While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us when all these things will happen. What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? In verse 4, Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. See the same, same thing. This is how Paul and, and, and uh, Jesus' message match up. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these events are the beginning of labor pains. So all of this stuff is prophesied. All these people that are pretending to be Jesus or claiming to be Jesus, they're, they're going to be here. Jesus warned us. He knows it. So we need to be on the alert for these false prophets because they're going to be performing false miracles. So verses 9 through 12, right, they're going to do all these miracles to impress people. Somehow they, they can get around. But, but, but they're not doing this with their own power. Paul says that Satan is behind the power from which the Antichrist operates. He is the one kind of giving him the magic tricks, or if you want to call it that. He's, he's the one making these things happen. And so again, in Matthew 24, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone tells you then, see, here is the Messiah, or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. It is possible for us to be snowed because we want to believe it. And it's, we have some, we need to make sure everything matches up. But he says, take note, I have told you in advance. See that if, you, if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storerooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there, there the vultures will gather. All right. So all this noise, all these things coming, going on, they're just precursors to, the, to Jesus coming back. He will come with the, 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 the peal of thunder, the lightning, the clouds, the angels, everything. He will come back at the right time. But until then, until the Antichrist sets himself up, until we see that happen, if we see it in our lifetime, you know, we know we're just here going through these other birth pains. Right? So again, Paul and Jesus' words almost match exactly the story they're telling about what's going to happen. Right? So again, Paul and his companions already experienced you know, they they experienced false prophets before. So Luke tells us in Acts 13, starting in verse six, he said, when they traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. The man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elmis, the sorcerer, which is, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from their faith. All right, so here we see this kind of this, we'll say, a battle between a, a false prophet and one of the apostles or a couple of the apostles. In verse nine, it says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight path of the Lord? Now, look the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Imagine calling somebody out like that in church or somewhere else and you look him straight in the eye and said, you son of the devil, you're full of trickery. and You have that kind of power. Now we don't have that kind of power extended to us necessarily, but we can still call them out. We can still say, look, you are twisting word. You are twisting God's word. You are twisting the truth. For whatever reason you know either your own your own gain or or some other reason but you know they're doing it for for not true reasons right so it's kind of important though that we go back and say all right what is a miracle because a lot of times we kind of throw that word around a little too much sometimes i think all right what is a miracle sometimes it's a miracle that i woke up and got out of bed in the morning right at least it feels like but a miracle in this event which the forces of nature, including the natural powers of man, cannot of themselves produce, and which must therefore be referred to a supernatural agency. So something happens that we cannot explain naturally. Through the laws of physics, the laws of how we understand the universe works, something happens. Somebody being raised from the dead. We think, we know that when you die, you're done, that's it. And here we have Jesus was resurrected, Lazarus was resurrected, Some other people were resurrecting the Bible as well, right? That's something we know that's a miracle because the way we see the world, the way we understand it is, is this this it? Jesus walking on water. That's a miracle, right? Humans can't walk on water. Peter stepped out of the boat said, I'm I'm on the water! And he realized that he was kind of in the middle of a miracle, and what happened? He realized that logically this shouldn't be happening, so he fell in the way. He just for lack of a better term, I didn't believe anymore. He fell in the water. Jesus grabbed him and had to pull him out, right? So these things here, we see the Bible, we see the Jesus performing miracles, right? And he performed signs, even his enemies, one commentator says, did not deny the effect of such. Right? They didn't say, well, he's not doing a miracle. They didn't say that. He said they, you know, they, they merely attempted to attribute his power to some other source, right? They were trying to link his power with the Antichrist saying, Well, the devil did it. The devil's been giving you this power, right? At one point, he says, Well, if the devil's telling me to do this, I'm here to beat up the devil. I'm here to fight him and, and win. So we can't fight, right? They're there two houses. That's why he says that house divided can't stand, right? Because he said, If the devil's telling me and giving me all this power, I, I wouldn't be working for him because I'm, supposed, I'm here to, to defeat him. Right, So the leaders of the Jewish community did not doubt that Peter and John had performed a notable miracle when they healed the layman at the temple, but rather they sought to mute the sign's impacts by threats of violence. Right? It's like, if you tell anybody, we're going to throw you in jail, we're going to take all your stuff, we're going to do whatever it is. Right? They, they knew these things happened, they saw them, they witnessed them. And they had to figure out what to do with them. Right, so these miracles happen. The false messiah will perform miracles and we, a lot of people will be amazed, but we need to always... Kind of be watching and thinking, right? Seeing what's going on, All right? So Paul brings us to this application in verses 13 through 17, and he says, but we ought to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you through this, our gospel, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. So in that, those three or four sentences, Paul gives kind of three applications. So the first one is know God's word. Right? That's the first application. You have to know God's word. Because people are going to use the Bible against you. Right? We see it all the time. And I think I've said it before, I have, I have atheist friends, I've, I've talked to other atheists, I've seen them, that they have read the Bible probably more times than you have. Perhaps. Right? They know all this stuff, and they were gonna, they're going to use it against you. They have a lot of verses memorized, and they may know what it says, but they, take, they lose the context of it a lot of times, right? And they're going to take it out of context, and they're just going to link things together. They're going to pervert God's Word. And also, this also stops you from being controlled, right? Because that's part of the thing with the, the false prophets. You're going to get put under these people's powers because you're like, oh, yeah, I believe that. But then you can look at it and know the truth say, wait a minute, that's not what this says. That, that's... And it says this, but it also says this up here, down here, right? And you can take the context and you can learn and, and teach them, right? You can have a conversation because both of you are equally educated as far as knowing what the Bible says. And you know how to apply it because that's the most important part, right? So you have to know what the Bible is and, more importantly, who the Bible is about because that's usually the point where the atheists and non-believers take and they stop. They don't believe that God is God and who he is and who, who Jesus is, so they just kind of stop at that point. But Thomas Adams, who's a Puritan theologian, states that there is nothing contained in the Word of God but God the Word. This whole book is about Jesus, the whole book is about Jesus, you know, God. And so we have to understand that's our going in point. And so that helps us know the Savior. This is the second point of knowing the Savior, the true Savior, right? Because again, remember, this is true or false, right? So the false Messiah or the Antichrist is just that he is the opposite of Jesus. So he's the opposite of a Savior who tries, you know, he is one who's trying to run everything. He is trying to be God. He claims to be God himself. But he's run by Satan, so he's not even in charge. He's just kind of, Satan's just kind of letting him be in charge for a little while because Satan wants to be in charge. So he's a puppet just as much as everybody else is, really. And so that's the thing where he has no power in and of himself. But we see that Jesus, how he interacts with Satan in the Gospels, and he cannot be controlled. He knows he is the real Savior. He is the one true Savior. And we don't have to look for anyone else to save us because if you're a Christian, then you are saved because you're saved by Christ. Right? That is the whole point. That is who saves us. He is the hero. He's the true hero of the movie, if you want to look at it that way. right? He is the only one that paid the price for his lo- with his life. And he made a covenant in his blood to make humans right with God. right? He is God, the incarnate, that humbled himself and took on the form of a man. right? And that's why I get super excited about Christmas, because the incarnation is... You know, the most important part because without the incarnation there is no resurrection. Right? And so that's how God planned it out, so that's how it comes out. So that's why that's an important part of the story. And so lastly, we need to know the true miracle, which is grace. Right, that, that true miracle is the, the act of grace, the grace of God. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the, the author says, For in subjecting everything to him, and that's Christ. He left nothing that is not subject to him. And it is as we do not, as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. We see that Jesus' death, his, his coming to earth, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection was all because of the grace of God. So that Jesus may, take, may taste death for everyone. And Paul says in verse 15, he says, we ought to be thankful for the grace that God showed us by saving us. Right, so this whole Bible is a story of God and his grace to his people. And we see sometimes that that is exercised through keep getting rid of everybody except for Noah. Right? So eight people put on the ark. We see him saving the, the, the Israelites through Exodus. We see him bringing, bringing Jesus to, to the present day, you know, and, and he's there. And then Paul tells Timothy, he hath saved us according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. And so again, Puritan Thomas Adams explains that Christ's work on the cross is still in effect and still working today. It wasn't just a moment in time and that's it. That's how it works for us as well. That's why we are brought into this family. He says, The virtues of his merits is not abated, though many hands of faith have taken large portions out of his treasury. Then he says, there's a quote that you should see on your screen. He says, The river of his grace, which makes glad the city of God, runs over its banks, though infinite souls have drank hearty drafts and satisfied their thirst." He goes on and says, But we cannot, but because we cannot apprehend this for ourselves, of ourselves, therefore, He has promised to send us the Spirit of truth who will dwell with us. And that's John 14, 17. And apply this to us forever. So the river is so full, it's overrunning its banks. And around here, we can't really fathom that, right? Every time like, we go to, to up north, we go across the Santa Maria River. My GPS says there's water. Reality says something different, but you can see how wide it is, right? And as I imagine it flooded at some point, I'm sure it floods around every once in a while. You know, the river is running over its banks, this, this river of grace. And people are drinking it throughout these thousands of years, and yet he hasn't run out. He will not run out because he gives us the Holy Spirit that lives with us and we can apply this grace to our lives forever. And so this overflowing amount of grace is also yours to drink if you come to the river. If you don't know God, if you don't know who he is, if you don't understand how this works of how you can really picture this river of, of this grace, but we can come to this river and we can get washed and we are cleansed and we are renewed in this new life through the blood of Jesus. And this is the message that we have for the people who don't know him, the people who are lost. That's the message they, they hear. They should hear as well for this. This gospel message is good news. Right, and so Paul is setting the stage, and this is the conclusion, he's setting the stage for these events to happen before the end times. He's like, look, take it easy, we're not there yet. These other things have to happen first before we get to that point. So don't worry. Don't pay attention to the false words, don't pay attention to the lies, don't pay attention to the false prophets. Because the one main false prophet, the Antichrist, isn't here yet. But we need to focus on the, the one true God you know, he's warning of these events. He's also performing the only miracle you need that we need to really be aware of, and that is his death and resurrection. Because that pays for us, that, that bought us. And so as we go out this week, right, think about this. Think about how we can get better at, at learning the Bible, knowing it, teaching it, explaining to people, how you can take movies like Spider-Man, which you probably wouldn't think of as a some kind of gospel message. And you can talk to people who maybe have seen it and, and understand it, and put it in this Christian context. You know, of people who wanted to have this hero so bad that they were going to follow him, they were going to give him the keys to the city, basically. And how, you know, the 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 real hero was already there. So as we as we stand, as we sing our last few songs, let's uh, let's think about that. So let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to sing.